Welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. <laughs> well, hello there, everybody. I'm Logan. I'm Lindsay. And this is Folklore on the Rocks. Thanks Hooray. for joining us again. Uh, <laughs> we are just still loving this springtime weather. This is really, really nice. Let's see, we're starting to see animals outside. You're actually starting to hear birds singing, and I'm seeing a lot of squirrels running around. <laughs> All the squirrels. All the squirrels. It's <laughs> Oh, man. They're so cute. Yeah, I kind of figure they're, they're very much like our urban monkeys. Yeah, I could see that. They're not too different from rats, but they're so much friendlier and more accepted. I, I think it's really a funny thing that they're just given full free reign of every neighborhood. And if rats were, we'd be like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. That would that would last a day. And we're going to get yelled at by people that love rats. So, sorry, guys, we don't feel that way. Yeah, it's we, just we, how it is. Yeah, rats are, are <laughs> fine creatures. They, they do their jobs very, very well, and they will likely outlive humans. But... <laughs> I mean, what won't? Let's yeah, be real here. Let's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how. Yeah. Oh, hey, hey, Lindsay. Yeah? Have you been watching American Gods on Stars? No, I haven't yet. Oh, what? Uh, I know. I'm in the middle of campaign one of Critical Role still. Okay. So uh, they, that has They started the second over. half of their, of their first season, and it's pretty cool. They've got- I'm excited. Everything that I've watched of American Gods, I have absolutely loved. Like, Anansi is my favorite character oh, and he's so ever. good he's, he's he, amazing and Ugh. they had a line of uh going down to louisiana because you're gonna need the baron oh i would love to see what they do about baron somdi oh, i'm excited i really am like they did a really good job i know this sorry guys this isn't like a oh yeah TV i show, launched us off show. into some tangent we are going somewhere totally different hey, for the but, show but, but for if now you like folklore <laughs> and gods and stuff mythology American Gods would be a good show for you to watch, probably. I think it's a really good show. If you can handle the intensity <laughs> that is the show, because it's pretty violent. Yeah, it, it, my dad like, didn't think it was really violent. for him. It is. It, it does have graphic everything in it, yes. but... <laughs> but they do it, they do it in such a way that it doesn't feel as violent as it actually is. Like, it's very artistically done. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, kind of like Hannibal was. Hannibal was very, very, like, artsy in Yeah, its you violence. can tell it's part of a story that's being told. Mm-hmm. And it's a story that I, I wouldn't expect any story about these old gods and mythological creatures to be, you know, soft and pillow-fisted. No, it, they are <laughs> – these they, these are violent characters and creatures that are suddenly introduced to one another. Well, and – so yeah, for cool, sure. cool show is what I'm getting at here, folks. And yeah, if you watch it, great. If you don't, do. <laughs> yeah, it's also a book. Came from a Neil Gaiman book. Yeah. Um, who is an author that we both love so much. He's amazing. I love how the adaptations of his books translate feel, so well. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they're a revised and updated edition. Yeah, well, and I know he works on most of what his stuff gets produced. Yeah, like yeah, he, he, he jumps into screenwriting, in it, he does a which lot is of producing. And perfect, because then it's exactly what you said, it's then an updated version. And this is a story that is very much of its time. <laughs> if anyone goes back and reads American Gods, don't be surprised if it's a little it's dated. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it's very 90s is what it is. And it's really nice to have this, you know, modern topical story uh, updated and refreshed for, you know, where are we at? 2019? Ugh. 
Boy, how'd that happen? Whoa. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you're totally right. And I mean, they did a really good job of the book's pretty long and they kind of culled down some of the characters so that they can focus on specific ones Mm -hmm. and add a little bit more like depth to them. Yeah. The focus of the story shifts around a lot in the book and that's carried over pretty well in the show. It can be a little jarring and hard to follow, but um, to anybody who's thinking the appeal. Yeah, if you want to give that show a shot, I would endorse it. As would I. Well, sadly, we are not here to just talk about our favorite <laughs> TV shows. We've got some stories for you, we fine do. people. We do, and we have a drink. Yeah, so what have we got to drink, Linz? Tonight, we have a very, very classic cocktail that we all know and love, and that's very, like, spring summery. Yeah, spring summer. And, Probably and more one, springy. one might even say... A little Southern in its sensibility. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so um, if you haven't guessed by those hints, we are doing a mint julep. And uh, in case you have never had one before, a uh, mint julep is basically uh, two and a half ounces of bourbon, two sugar cubes, or you can do like a half an ounce of simple syrup or mint syrup, simple syrup if you're feeling fancy. Mm-hmm. And I will put a recipe for that in our show notes. And then you just add in four to five mint sprigs. Uh, more or less is totally fine. It's up to you. It'll just make it more minty or less minty. So <laughs> it's not really that big of a deal. But to make it, basically, you just place the mint and the sugar or the simple syrup into a glass. Classically, a mint julep is served in a like a frosted silver julep cup. But whatever you have is fine. No big deal. If it holds liquid, it'll do the job. Yeah, you're good. (laughs) Then you're going to want to muddle it well. Bring in that muddler out again. Muddle, 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 muddle. But you do want to muddle it gently so the leaves don't break up too much. Um, You don't want them to get like stuck in your teeth. You just want to release the oil that's in them. And you are going to dissolve the sugar, release that oil as you muddle it. You may need to add like a tiny bit of water to dissolve the sugar if you're not doing a simple syrup. Um, then you add your bourbon. I would recommend one that you love the flavor of because it's mainly what you're going to taste in this drink. Yeah. Start with good bourbon. Yes. And you'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. If it's a bourbon that you love to sip on, that's the bourbon you should do. Mm-hmm. Um, none of this cheap crap, <laughs> unless you really like the taste of cheap crap for some yeah, reason. Yeah, that's your thing. More power to you. Somebody's got to drink it. Exactly. Um, And you just fill the glass with crushed ice, which apparently is super important. That's the expensive ice. It's special. If you don't have, like, crushed ice, you can just, like, put ice cubes in a plastic bag and mash it up. Put it in the bag, then crush it. It's not that hard. Another use for your muddler. (laughs) You can just hit it with the muddler. (laughs) Don't break Um, your muddler now. Don't break it. Yeah. Usually they're, like, water metal, so you're probably okay. Then you want to stir the drink until your glass becomes frosty, which is why you want that crushed ice, because um, it's going to get the drink colder a lot faster, because there's more surface area. Surface um, area. Your yeah. science. Some people also add like two to three dashes of bitters, but that's totally optional. So make it, drink it, be Enjoy refreshed. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lovely drink for sitting on the porch and just like, taken in the spring nighttime yeah know? we've we've just hit the time of year and again I, I hate to get so so regional and local but we live in utah so <laughs> we'll tell about you about <laughs> stuff in, in utah but we've just hit the time of year where you can go outside sit in the sun 
And if the wind starts to blow a little bit, it's not immediately freezing. Yeah, it's just like a little crisp. Yeah, that's a, that's a very, very definitive line in Utah weather. You know, because we can, a month ago, you could go outside in the sun and be fine. Just don't go in the shade and hope the air doesn't move. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it will, inevitably. And yeah. it'll suck. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And if anyone comes here, our shade means business. It's a low humidity thing. Believe it. Yes. It's <laughs> it's so weird, the difference between low humidity and high humidity places. Totally. Like it's, it's bizarre how different we, a certain temperature is. We could do an entire podcast just on the weirdness of humidity and barometric we pressure. We really could. <laughs> but that's not this podcast. No. I mean, it might be at some point. Kind of. I mean, there's it will. A, and it, there's it, a storm god has, coming yeah. in this batch of stories. So that's maybe. true. Yeah, that I don't want to give anything true. away, but yeah. yeah. We can talk about humidity then. Okay. I'll I'll allow this for us. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, start with our stories. Yeah, let's get rolling. Yeah, so our first tale this evening is from an author that I know well, and I know that you know well, Logan, and that many of our listeners will know quite well. It's from Oscar Wilde. And the story is called The Selfish Giant, and it's from a book that he wrote called The Happy Prince and Other Tales, which I had not heard of before. Me neither. Uh, But let's see what it's all about. Every afternoon as they were coming home from school, the children used to go play in the giant's garden. It was a large and lovely garden with soft green grass. Here and there over the grass stood beautiful flowers like stars. And there were twelve peach trees that in the springtime broke out into delicate blossoms of pink and pearl, and in the autumn bore rich fruit. The birds sat on trees and sang so sweetly that the children used to stop their games in order to listen to them. (laughs) How happy we are here, they cried to one another. One day, the giant came back. He had been to visit his friend the Cornish ogre and had stayed with him for seven years. After the seven years were over, he had said all that he had to say, for his conversation was limited, and he determined to return to his own castle. When he arrived, he saw the children playing in the garden. "'What are you doing here?' he cried in a very gruff voice, and the children ran away. "'My own garden is my own garden,' said the giant. "'Anyone can understand that!' And I will allow nobody to play in it but myself. So he built a high wall around it and put up a notice board. Trespassers will be prosecuted. He was a very selfish giant. The poor children had now nowhere to play. They tried to play on the road, but the road was very dusty and full of hard stones, and they didn't like it. They used to wander around the high wall when their lessons were over and talk about the beautiful garden inside. How happy we were there, they said to one another. Then the spring came, and all over the country there were little blossoms and little birds. Only in the garden of the selfish giant it was still winter. The birds did not care to sing in it, as there were no children, and the trees forgot to blossom. Once a beautiful flower put its head out from the grass, but when it saw the notice board it was so sorry for the children that it slipped back into the ground again and went off to sleep. The only people who were pleased were the snow and the frost, "'Spring has forgotten this garden,' they cried. "'So we will live here all the year round.' The snow covered up the grass with her white cloak, and the frost painted all the trees silver. 
Then they invited the North Wind to stay with them, and he came. He was wrapped in furs, and he roared all day about the garden, and blew the chimney pots down. Shh, this is a delightful spot, he said. They must ask the hail on a visit. So the hail came. Every day for three hours, he rattled on the roof of the castle until he broke most of the slates, and then he ran round and around the garden as fast as he could go. He was dressed in gray, and his breath was like ice. I cannot understand why spring is so late in coming. As he sat at the window and looked out at his cold white garden, I hope there will be a change in the weather. But the spring never came, nor the summer. The autumn gave golden fruit to every garden, but to the giant's garden she gave none. He is too selfish, she said. So it was always winter there, and the north wind and the hail and the frost and the snow danced about through the trees. One morning when the giant was lying awake in bed, he heard some lovely music. It sounded so sweet to his ears that he thought it must be the king's musicians passing by. It was really only a little linnet singing outside his window. But it was so long since he had heard a bird sing in his garden that it seemed to him the most beautiful music in the world. Then the hail stopped dancing over his head, the north wind ceased roaring, and a delicious perfume came to him through the open casement. I believe the spring has come at last, said the giant as he jumped out of bed and looked out. What did he see? He saw a most wonderful sight. Through a little hole in the wall, the children had crept in, and they were sitting in the branches of the trees. In every tree he could see, there was a little child, and the trees were so glad to have the children back again that they had covered themselves in blossoms, and were waving their arms gently above the children's heads. The birds were flying about and twittering with delight, and the flowers were looking up through the green grass and laughing. It was a lovely scene. Only in one corner it was still winter. It was the farthest corner of the garden, and in it was standing a little boy. He was so small that he could not reach up to the branches of the tree, and he was wandering all around it, crying bitterly. The poor tree was still quite covered with frost and snow, and the north wind was blowing and roaring above it. "'Climb up, little boy,' said the tree, and bent its branches down as low as it could, but the boy was just too tiny. And the giant's heart melted as he looked out. "'How selfish I have been,' he said. Now I know why the spring would not come here. I will put that little boy on top of that tree, and then I will knock down the wall, and my garden shall be the children's playground for ever and ever. He really was very sorry for what he had done. So he crept downstairs and opened the front door quite softly and went out into the garden. But when the children saw him, they were so frightened they all ran away, and the garden became winter again. Only the little boy did not run, for his eyes were so full of tears that he did not see the giant coming, and the giant stole up behind him and took him gently in his hand, and put him up into the tree, and the tree broke at once into blossom, and the birds came and sang on it, and the little boy stretched out his two arms and flung them around the giant's neck and kissed him. And the other children, when they saw the giant was not wicked any longer, came running back, and with them came the spring. It is your garden now, little children, said the giant, and he took a great axe and knocked down the wall. And when the people were going to the market at twelve o'clock, they found the giant playing with the children in the most beautiful garden they had ever seen. And all day long they played, 
and in the evening they came to the giant to bid him goodbye. "'But uh, where is your companion?' he said. "'The boy I put in the tree!' The giant loved him the best, because he had kissed him. "'We don't know,' answered the children. "'He has gone away.' "'You must be sure to tell him to come here tomorrow,' said the giant. But the children said they did not know where he lived, and had never seen him before, and the giant felt very sad. Every afternoon, when school was over, the children came and played with the giant. But the little boy, whom the giant loved, was never seen again. The giant was kind to all the children, yet he longed for his first little friend, and often spoke of him. Oh, how I would like to see him, he used to say. Years went over, and the giant grew very old and feeble. He could not play about any more, so he sat in a huge armchair, and watched the children at their games, and admired his garden. I have beautiful flowers, he said. But the children are the most beautiful flowers of all. One winter morning, he looked out of his window as he was dressing. He did not hate the winter now, for he knew that it was merely the spring asleep, and that the flowers were resting. Suddenly, he rubbed his eyes in wonder, and looked, and looked. It was certainly a marvelous night. In the farthest corner of his garden was a tree quite covered with lovely white blossoms. Its branches were all golden, and silver fruit hung down from them and underneath it stood the little boy he had loved. Downstairs the giant ran in great joy and out into the garden. He hastened across the grass and came near to the child. But when he came quite close, his face grew red with anger, and he said, Who hath dared to wound thee? For on the palms of the child's hands were the prints of two nails, and the prints of two nails were on the little feet. "'Who hath dared to wound thee?' cried the giant. "'Tell me, that I may take my big sword and slay him.' "'Nay,' answered the child, "'but these are the wounds of love.' "'Who art thou?' said the giant, and a strange awe fell on him, and he knelt beside the little child. And the child smiled on the giant, and said to him, "'You let me play once in your garden. Today you shall come with me to my garden, which is paradise.' And when the children ran in that afternoon, they found the giant lying dead under the tree, all covered with white blossoms. Oh, Oscar Wilde, you've done it again. <laughs> yep, you certainly have. Um, <laughs> I, so, I always picture Oscar Wilde as uh, depicted by Dave Foley in Kids in the Hall. I feel like he's always that nutty friend that you all have, like that super eccentric friend. That you're just like, oh, you're fun to be around, but you don't want to be like stuck in a conversation with them forever. Yeah. And you and know? really, if you can't think of who that friend is, you might just be that friend. You know, you, you might <laughs> be the Oscar Wilde of your group. Uh, <laughs> but like, but he's also an absolute genius, too. I mean, like the fact that he can write fairy tales, he can write uh, oh, his scary Dorian stuff. Gray, yeah, like that's... his horror you know, uh, that, his comedy, even, like his importance of being earnest, like mm -hmm. he runs the whole gamut. Like he's super talented that way. Like a really good cover band, whichever genre he, he jumps to, he acts <laughs> like that's all he plays. Yeah. And he does it exceptionally well. It's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, enough about Oscar Wilde. Let's talk about the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the selfish giant. Um, yeah, definitely. Suddenly had some Christian elements to the end. Yeah. End of it. Didn't expect that. We were all. talking about it earlier, and, and you mentioned what you kind of thought happened with it. I, I What was that? Mainly, like, 
the thing I didn't expect is to suddenly have this imagery of nail wounds in a child's palms and feet, right? Yeah. But I had like, to go back and reread that where it's like, okay, hang on. Is that symbolism? What metaphor? Where are we yeah. going on this? It felt a little weird for me from Oscar Wilde specifically. I don't necessarily know enough about him to know even if he was a Christian or whatever, but I think it Yeah, may if he's be... a good clean churchgoer on Sundays, he doesn't really seem like it. I he d- seems more I of a Freddie Mercury type. Yeah. But <laughs> But I think that I don't know, maybe with the the society aspect of it, maybe his editor like he wrote this tale and his editor was like and let's add some Christian element in. It'll sell better or whatever. And yeah. maybe that's what happened. I don't know. And I that's have kind, no idea. Kind of what it felt like. Uh, but it, it felt did. like it was a very publisher-driven move. Um, but then looking back, you're also like, okay, maybe he did mean it the whole time, but you weren't thinking about it, you know? Which is good. I mean, a good tale is a tale that makes you want to read it again and think about it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. a good thing. Well, and um, it... it it also felt it felt very similar to Dickens' uh, Christmas Carol. Uh, yeah. This selfish, curmudgeonly character that gets visited by otherworldly elements, and they change their ways, and everything is good again. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and and it's this idea of you know telling the story uh, without quite so much Christmas, Christmas that is, but still at the end going back to church because well, maybe that's the audience at the time, or maybe that's who's publishing yeah. it, or. Maybe it's the author's intent. Either sure. way, an interesting choice. Yeah. And either way, like regardless, it's it's still a heartwarming tale. It's always nice to see that kind of Scrooge element that someone's curmudgeonly heart just thaws and there's a positive realization that they have. You know, that's always nice to see in any tale, no matter what. <laughs> right. Because um, we all I, kind of want that in our own lives. Right. Yeah. See, and I, on the other hand, I like any story with a good and proper giant in it. (laughs) (laughs) Different priorities here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. I'm I'm glad to see them represented as more than just things to be slain. Yeah. No, that's Uh, definitely true. You know, not not the big dumb oafs. Like, this was just a large person who had a beautiful heart on the inside yeah. that changed. Sometimes he does carry a giant axe around, but that's just, you know, <laughs> that's a giant thing. Yeah. All the better to stick kids up in trees with, right? Perfect. <laughs> um, but I, I did really like the theme of, of giving of yourself or kind of opening up to others can give you joy and kind of happiness in turn, even after a really long time of being in the dark and in the cold. It's really, really hopeful. Yeah, you know? that does feel very springtimey right mm-hmm. there. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like you say, opening up, maybe, you know, for me, just going back to wearing jackets versus not wearing jackets. <laughs> when suddenly you don't have to think first priority is staying warm enough to survive, uh, then you can start to make other choices about how, you know, you present yourself and what you see in other people. And that's something kind of cool. We aren't just running around looking like little gumdrops, all just all bundled up trying to... You know, not freeze to death. <laughs> exactly. All you need is a light jacket. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, cool. I did feel like there's a lot more that could be read into this tale from like a religious standpoint, but mm-hmm. it, that's not why we're here. <laughs> um, that's a totally different podcast. So I'm just taking the story at face value. It's a nice story about a giant who overcame his selfishness and he shared what he had with other people. And that was then to his own benefit because the joy he found 
via the catalyst of somebody else. But that's neither here nor there. So mm-hmm. it was just nice. I liked it. A nice, clean good little job, fairy Oscar tale. Wilde. You did good. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and move on to our promo for the evening. Our show for this week is called Mysterious Midwest. Uh, mm. Weird stuff happens in the Midwest. Granted, weird stuff happens other places, too. But the Midwest does seem to be a hotbed of strange and unusual occurrences. Yeah, plenty of room for something weird to go down. <laughs> Definitely. And these ladies in this show will tell you all about it. So ladies, oh, is... sucking my guts. Sit, sit up straight. Okay. <laughs> here's the promo. Hey, 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 this is Danielle. And this is Sarah. And we're the Mysterious Midwest Podcast. That's us. We're here. <laughs> We'll be dropping episodes weekly about the ookiest and spookiest happenings in the Midwest. From cryptids to hauntings and creatures that go bump in the night. Be sure to join us for a laugh, because we do a lot of that. Yep. <laughs> and a drink <laughs> while we talk about this strange and unusual. You can find us at MysteriousMidwestPod.com, and we're downloadable on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we are all about that social media, so feel free to find us. Find us. On Facebook at Mysterious Midwest Podcast. Yep, we're there. Instagram at Mysterious Midwest. Yep, lots of selfies. And don't forget about Twitter at Mist Midwest. Yes, please. Find us on all the things. You won't regret it even a little bit. Not at <laughs> all. Hey, guys, say, on your way home tonight, watch your dear. Okay, bye. All right. Hey, all right. We'll check them out. Yeah. So our next tale is a Native American tale. I did want to just give a quick disclaimer and maybe a little bit of, I don't know, history. Um, Tell us, Lindsay. <laughs> a little bit just about the term Native American. Um, it has, the term Native American has expanded to the peoples that are native to Hawaii and Alaska, as well as the continental United States. So... Some indigenous people prefer to be called American Indians. Some prefer the broader term of Native American. But honestly, it's really dependent on the person. And from what I understand, referring to somebody's tribe is preferred way more than any generalized term at all. Because it's more respectful and it's more accurate, which honestly makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, that that, <laughs> that does make sense. Um, The tale we're about to read says Indians a lot. Um, It is from 1936, so it may not be like super PC. (laughs) It was a different time. (laughs) But it also doesn't mention what tribe this tale is from. The tale is called Kachina Brings the Spring. I looked up Kachina and and Kachina rituals. I hope I'm saying that right. But the rituals, they are practiced by the Hopi, the Zuni, the Hopi Tewa, and the Karesan tribes and most other Pueblo tribes in the southwestern U.S. So you're welcome to do more research on Kachinas and the rituals in general and the various tribes of North America, if you feel so inclined. So, yeah, um, it was an episode of Northern Exposure where I first encountered the word, and as far as I know, you are saying it correctly. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Score. So, like I said, the tale is called Kachina Brings the Spring, and it's from the book When the Storm God Rides, and it's by Florence Stratton. And Logan's going to tell it to us now. Let's take a listen. Kachina Brings the Spring An Indian tribe living in the southwestern country was once filled with fear and suffering. It was the beginning of spring, when the green buds should have been peeping from the trees, 
and new flowers should have been lifting their fresh, cheery faces from the grass. But something was wrong with this springtime. It was not like spring. There was no rain from the hard blue skies that looked down without tears of pity on the hills and prairies that would not flower, and the dry creek beds where water used to flow, and the weather should have been warm, but it was bitter cold. In the day, the sun was far away and had no heat. In the night, the moon and stars were like cold steel in the wide black sky where no clouds floated. And because of these things, the Indians suffered great hunger. There was little food, only parched corn and acorns and shreds of dried buffalo meat. Flown away were the wild turkeys. Gone were the buffaloes. The animals and the birds which the Indians used to shoot and eat could not live there without water and food. They had died and left the country, and the berries that the tribe needed to eat could not grow in the dry, hard earth. There was no rain to call them up from their sleep under the ground. The Indians walked over the hills in search of food, but they could find none, and they began to starve. The skin on their bodies became loose. Their bones began to show through their flesh. Their women and children grew weak and moaned or cried in the night because they were hungry. One night, the tribe's medicine man, the wrinkled, wise old Indian who warded off evil spirits and who knew how to get the good spirits to grant the Indians' wishes, came out of his wigwam and beat loudly on his drum. He was calling the tribe to come and listen to him. The Indians hurried around him and watched him in fear as he pounded on his drum and danced and shouted a song. The starving dogs, when they saw his painted face and his red eyes burning with the light of the campfires, howled and ran away with their tails between their legs and hid. They knew there was a strange power working in him. Suddenly, the medicine man cried to the Indians, Ho! Hear me! The great spirit has thundered in my ears and told me to speak. He has taken away from us the rain and the flowers and the animals because we have angered him. But he will give us help if we make him a burnt offering. We must burn something which we love most and gather its ashes and scatter them to the four winds of heaven. Then the winds will carry the ashes to the great spirit and he will be pleased again. Go back to your wigwams and think what we love most. Tomorrow we burn it when the sun rises. Among the Indians who listened to the medicine man was a little girl. She was holding in her thin arms a wonderful kachina doll made for her by her grandmother. The kachina was far prettier than any of the others in the tribe. It was made of carved wood with a flint knife. Painted on its wooden form were the clothes of a warrior, an Indian brave. On its head was a war bonnet of blue feathers, and its eyes were made of two little black beads dyed from berries. The little Indian maiden loved her kachina carried it with her when she played, and slept with it in her arms at night. When this little girl heard what the great spirit wanted, she almost cried, for she felt in her heart that nothing among her people was more loved than her own doll. But she looked up and saw the shadows of pain in the face of her hungry mother. She saw how thin was the face of her baby brother strapped to her mother's back in his cradle. She remembered the low moans in the wigwams at night, and knew her people suffered because the great spirit was angry. She looked down at her beloved little doll, held it tightly to her breast, and slipped away to her father's wigwam, where she lay for a long time with her face pressed against her little doll. The lodges were still, and the fire in the middle of the camp had died down to red embers when the little girl came out again. In her arms was her doll. She knew she loved her kachina more than anything else was loved in the tribe, and she had decided to give it up, as the great spirit had asked, so that her people would be happy again.
She cried a little bit as she laid twigs on the dying embers of the fire. But she blew the fire until it sprang up into a blaze that made the shiny eyes of her doll sparkle. So they seemed to be bright with tears, like her own. She hugged the doll and kissed it. Now she laid it in the middle of the flames. Quickly the flames began to eat the doll. The blue feathers on its head were gone. The tiny shoes turned to smoke. The beady eyes fell off the burning face into the fire. And soon there was nothing left of the doll the little girl had loved. Now she raked out the ashes and sat down to watch them cool. When they had cooled, she took them up into her two hands and held them up while the cool wind blew them out of her hands and into the darkness. Finally, the little girl stooped and patted the ground where the ashes of her doll had lain. Then a wonderful thing happened. Where the ground was bare and hard before, it was now covered with soft leaves that felt warm to her cold little hands. The sharp cold of the night wind now was gone, and the smell of spring flowers seemed to fill the air around her. The great spirit must have been pleased with her offering of the doll. Happy once more, the little girl hurried back to her wigwam and lay down to sleep. In the morning, the child was awakened with the sound of joyous cries outside. She heard the drums beating and heard dancing feet. The Indians were singing. She peeped outside and saw that she had pleased the great spirit, because for the first time in many moons, a misty rain was falling, a rain that was good to the thirsty earth. The cold wind was gone, too. The warm south wind was gently blowing through the rain and rustling trees that were heavy with new green leaves. She went outside and saw a wonderful sight on the hills around the camp. Everywhere the hills and prairies had been covered with strange and lovely flowers the Indians had never seen before. When she ran to pick one of them, she saw that they were shaped like the little bonnet of flowers her doll had worn, and blue like those feathers. At the heart of each small blossom was a speck of red, just like the red of the fire which had burned her doll. And the tips of the buds were silver-gray, like the ashes that were left after it had been burned. When the little girl hurried with one of the new flowers to the Indians, they knew what had happened. She had given her doll to the great spirit, and he had given back to her millions of flowers, which were now lying on the hills like a piece of blue sky fallen to the earth. And spring had come at last. The Indians named the new flowers blue bonnets, because they were like the blue bonnet of the little girl's doll. Today, when the blue bonnets appear in the Texas prairies, it is a sign that the great spirit has once more returned springtime to the earth. So much imagery. Oh, so <laughs> in this lots tale. of it. That's definitely if the storm god rides is a metal album, Kachina <laughs> brings the spring, I'm gonna say is track three. I could definitely see that. Things slow down a little bit. It's almost a ballad. Um, it is a story of <laughs> as ballady as metal gets. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I could find all kinds of examples. But. Oh, I'm I'm a hundred percent sure that you could, and like you could probably find them within seconds. Yeah, I would believe yeah, I that. Could. Yeah. <laughs> but but that that being said, it's a good story of of sacrifice, of loss, of prioritization of what's really important in this life. Exactly. I mean, it's something. Um, something that we can maybe all relate to in some degree you know we've all maybe had to give something up for the good of people we love or situations whether it's time or money or a possession or a kidney or you know whatever <laughs> whatever it is we all have very likely had to do something or maybe didn't do something to our chagrin you know like you said, it's a story of sacrifice for the good of others. This sweet, sweet little girl 
is such mm-hmm. a great example of selflessness, you know, of her own volition, which is it's childlike, but also kind of rare to see. Yeah, yeah, with, with, how with kids such are a limited understanding <laughs> of of what's going on in the larger story. Yeah, she still understood that this was something very important, and she had to choose what was important to her to give up. And that made it, I think, even more pure that she mm-hmm. didn't really like she understood the ramifications, but also didn't. She had her own perspective. She saw her mom hungry and she was and she knew that something was bad so she wanted to make something good again you know but just the imagery in the story the imagery of the environment the whole descriptions of the sacrifice of the doll itself and just the the joy and the beauty of spring blowing in next morning it was it was all so lovely oh the language used was really evocative Mm -hmm. uh i mean just the, the little snippet of the cold steel in the wide black sky where no clouds floated. Just, uh, every little sentence is a really lush picture that gets painted. And mm-hmm. this is a nice story. A lot of care was taken in putting it together with the exception of, you know, you, liberal use of the word Indians and questionable yes. use of the word wigwams. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's kind of why I wanted to give that disclaimer a little bit ago for that reason. Like, Again, this tale is from 1936. So, when you know can better, marry your cousin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we know better. We know to be more respectful of people. And <laughs> it's going to be better for everyone if, if you pursue now language rather than then language. Yeah, that's all you got to do. And respectful attitudes. You know, just yeah. kind of a thing we should do as humans. Treat people as you'd like to be treated. Give it a shot. It might work. Maybe. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it will. (laughs) But yeah, it was just a lovely story of of spring coming when it is needed most. And, you know, it's kind of been a running theme, obviously, in these stories, because it's an episode about spring folktales. So that's good. (laughs) Like, overall, in these tales, we had so many flowers. (laughs) Lots of flowers. So that's many a, flowers. Like, think about it. Big deal with spring. Between last episode and this one, we've got a snowdrop. We've got a primrose. Like many, many primroses. We've got a wisteria got some tree. Blue bonnets. Blue bonnets. Got... Peach trees. Like mm-hmm. so many flowers and trees, <laughs> which is perfect because it's it's so spring. You know. Yeah, it's a springtime bouquet right there. All the bloom, <laughs> but um. Did you have any last thoughts about any of the tales we've talked about? Not really. I think they they left me feeling pretty good. I hope everyone out there enjoyed them and is feeling a little bit more springtimey. Yeah. Did Uh, you want to talk about humidity anymore? Oh, humidity. (laughs) Well, I always want to talk about humidity, Lindsay. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking because like this is the desert tale we're talking about, right? South southwestern U.S. And and really, that's that is something to kind of consider. Um, Around here, you can always feel. It's going to rain about 20 minutes. Uh, it's got that a definite, it. yeah, the a ozone. definite feel. And, and we've, t- we've, we've touched on it a little bit with uh, one of the scary stories a few months ago, uh, Creosote. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Rain in the desert is a different kind of thing. Because it's few and far between and so necessary. And springtime, at least here in Utah, it's the only time we truly get rain. Other times we get Weird freak storms and sometimes a lot of wind, lots of snow, as we've mentioned. Definitely snowed in June here before. Definitely snowed. But if you want rain, now's the time to come to Utah. (laughs) Yes. It rained yesterday. 
<laughs> yep. And the day I, before that. My bike seat got totally soaked. Oh, that's it, fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's a fun ride home. <laughs> <laughs> but today was gorgeous and clear it and was sunny. a beautiful day. So, you know, we, we are feeling that that super joy of spring and i'm loving it yeah so everybody get out there go do something fun wear your sunscreen if you require it if you don't consider yourself lucky oh so much (laughs) i'm like spf 9000 because yeah i am outside for three seconds and i burn it's yeah we've we've almost entered into hat season where (laughs) i i need to start picking out how how i will hide for the sun from the summer (laughs) well you only have eight thousand hats so yeah it should be Maybe pretty easy to pick. I hope so. <laughs> um, okay, so that's all we have for you guys with our Spring Folktale episodes. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, yeah. everybody. And as always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Folklore on the Rocks. You can find us at Twitter at Folklore Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my oh, god! Exploded it. It's the different end. Oh, every sorry. time. I love it. <laughs> um, we've got pictures, notes, and sources on our website at folkloreontherocks.com. Patreon, PayPal. You can donate either of those places. The PayPal buttons on our website, and Patreon is, uh, I think, just Patreon.com/slash/folkloreontherocks. So yeah, I've got come links. find us there. I've got links all over the place. Free stickers if you write us a review and send us a screenshot. And um, we just ask that you, if you like the show, please, please, please rate us and leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us know that people are actually listening and liking us. Um, And then you get the added benefit of once we hit 100 reviews, we're going to do that bonus episode with a creature selected by you guys. Yeah. So. And, and you know, if there's part. If you've got a favorite part of the show, we'd love to hear about it. That's one of the nice things about this being a small show. Um, we feel really connected to our fans and mm-hmm. anybody listening out there. We really, so, really, really do. I love anything that with gets you guys. written. We read those, yes. and that's uh, that's really <laughs> and we a, love um, it. So keep on sending anything you want to us, <laughs> and we'll read it. Yep, and also just tell your friends too. Uh, that's going to help us immensely. You know, word of mouth is an amazing marketing thing for us that we don't have any control over so it's all organic from you guys and we appreciate any new listener that you send our way we'll be nice to them we promise Mm, yeah we will maybe (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so thank you guys so much for listening and just tune in next sunday yep we'll hopefully hear from you soon you'll hear from us soon probably yeah (laughs) oh not even probably definitely (laughs) okay Okay. bye (laughs) bye